Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. In episode 150, I answered some of the most common questions I've been getting about homeschooling right now from my friends who are looking at becoming homeschoolers for the first time. And in that episode, I promised that I would create an extra episode all about the books and curriculum that we're using this year. So it's kind of similar to years past, but with a few changes and just a few notes that I thought might be helpful for you. So here we go. I'm your host, Jill Winger, and this is the podcast for the Trailblazers, the Mavericks, the Makers, the Homesteaders, the Modern Pioneers, and the Backyard Farmers. If you're ready to boost your food security and live a more homegrown lifestyle, well, this is the place for you. I'm interrupting this episode to give a quick shout out to our sponsor this month, Union Wireless. Union is a Wyoming-based small town telephone company that's been in business for the last 100 years. They specialize in having more cell towers in more places and what started as one man's mission to help rural Wyoming residents stay connected has blossomed into a thriving network that connects folks via landline, cell phone, and internet service in Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, and Utah. If you're one of my listeners who lives in the West, head on over to unionwireless.com to see if they'd be a fit for you. Now, back to our show. So this year, I have a fifth grader, a second grader, and a pre-K-er. Is that a thing? Uh, This is my last year of only homeschooling two children. And next year, I mean, I'm kind of homeschooling my youngest, but it's like, you know, she's still preschool basically. So I don't have a lot of obligation there. Although she's nagging me to death to do school. So I kind of feel like I have to do something. Poor child, (laughs) poor third born. Uh, Anyway, so next year I will be officially homeschooling three at a time. No, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I will figure it out as we go. Yes, I am scared. I, I just don't know. Anyway, uh, it'll be exciting. But that's where we're at. I think we're going to start here in the next two weeks. We usually start around September 1st because I have this deep-seated dislike of the idea of starting school when it still feels like summer. And I know that most school districts start, some start even in like end of July, but I just am like, no, I'm a homeschooler. I get to pick my schedule. So that's what we do. Um, I'm still using similar books as I did in years past, but I did make some changes. I always make a few tweaks each year as I figure things out more and I decide that I don't like a book or I do like a book or I find that my child would do better in something else. So I'm always making little adjustments, but I think the biggest thing for you to know as you listen to this episode is that I keep my curriculum very simple. And as I explained back in episode 150, you can go nuts with this. You can spend your whole life researching curriculums and making lesson plans. That's just not my jam. I want my kids to have a good education. It's important to me that they know how to read and write and do math well and be well adjusted. But I have other things to do besides create lesson plans. And so I make this work for me. And you get to do the exact same thing if you are wanting to be a homeschool parent. So it's all good. There is no hard and fast rule book that you have to follow other than just paying attention to your kids' unique needs and shaping your school around that. 
So I'd say the biggest change for us this year is we are not doing the uh, co-op that we've done for the past two years. We were a member of Classical Conversations. I know many of you are familiar with them or have done Classical Conversations yourself. Uh, we did it for the past two years. It was good. It just is was became increasingly hard for our family, um, not only just to get to town. And it sounds so silly. We, we would go to town once a week and have our community day, which doesn't sound like that much, but it's more than you think. Um, and I think the biggest thing for us was just all the extra responsibilities that were around that. Um, you know, that there was a lot of things for the parents to do, committees to be a part of, extra things to keep tabs on. It just was a lot for us. Um, it's a great program. I, I think that it's a wonderful fit for many families. It just kind of wasn't quite fitting in with our lifestyle because let's face it, we live a, a unique lifestyle. We're, you know, living far from town, having the businesses that we have. So there was just some conflict there. So we're not doing that, um, which is partially relief to have all of that extra stuff off my plate. Um, also, my kids are a little bummed because they did enjoy the social aspect, but we're going to work on adding in a few extra activities that will hopefully make up for that. And we're going to be still using pieces of that curriculum, which I'll explain here in a minute. So Sage, my third born, uh, she will be five in October. She's the one who's pre-K, obviously. Um, we are going to have her go to preschool this year, which uh, might surprise some of you because normally preschool isn't really something I, how do I say this? I don't care about preschool. <laughs> Does that sound like the worst thing ever? Please don't send me emails. Let me explain. Um, I just, we sent Mesa to preschool when she was four for one year. And then our preschool that was in our, our little small town that's the closest to us, it's about nine miles away. There was no more teacher. So there has not been a preschool in that little town until now. And so Bridger didn't go to preschool. Mesa only had one year. We were fine. Like we were fine. And I, I talked to a lot of parents who get really, really wrapped up in, oh my gosh, I got to get to preschool. We got to do the preschool thing. Which preschool is best? Oh my gosh. And maybe I'm crazy, but my opinion is it doesn't really matter. And I'm sure somebody will disagree with that. Uh, preschool's fine. It's nothing wrong with it if you want to do it. If you want to give your kid an activity or something, but I don't think it's 100% necessary. And here's why, because with basically both Mesa and Bridger, my first and my second born, you know, Mesa had minimal preschool, but um, beyond that, we didn't do much. But just a lot of those preschool things, the shapes and the colors and the simple counting and the ABCs, you pick up a lot of that if you're just semi-aware as a parent. And when I say semi-aware, I am not the type of mom who is sitting there micromanaging my child's days with color-coordinated activity pages. I am not that person. So semi-aware is a great term, I believe, that describes me because, you know, we will count things when I'm in the kitchen. We will talk about sounds when we're out in the garden. We will talk about shapes when they're playing with a shape sorter toy on the floor. But that is kind of it. And that was absolutely sufficient for my children in preschool. It translated well to kindergarten. Our kindergarten is also very loose. I do not believe children need a lot of kindergarten bookwork every single day. Like I would say with my kids, we did about 60 minutes of kindergarten every morning and they were absolutely 100% prepared to move into first grade curriculum when they were six years old. So that is my spiel. 
again, nothing wrong with preschool, but I'm putting Sage into preschool this year, mostly just because we have a friend who's going to be teaching it. And a lot of our friends, like Sage's friends will be in the preschool. So it's two mornings a week. It's just a very short period. It's not going to be, you know, every day, all day. And the other thing is, is that Sage is the third born and she always is kind of the afterthought. Sounds so bad, but you know, like the other two have more activities and interests and she's only four, will be five in October. So I kind of wanted Sage to have an opportunity to have a thing that was hers. That's where she's not constantly overshadowed by the older two. So I thought, you know, preschool two mornings a week, that's only nine miles away from us is a simple thing that we can have her participate in. She's really excited to do um, more numbers and letters. I find that with girls, they they tend to love the papers and the worksheets and the crayons and the markers. Like, I mean, at least Mesa was like that as well. Bridger's kind of like, meh. But Sage is really, really excited. So that's why we're doing it for her. It's not so much to prepare her for kindergarten. It's just more of an activity for her to do. So that's my preschool spiel. Um, as far as other extra activities, we're going to continue on with 4-H. That kind of starts up in October, but doesn't really get going much till spring. So it's kind of just dormant. Our little tiny town offers a soccer team, which we're not. <laughs> I am not a soccer mom. If you know me, you know that I am just not. But we're not even a sports family. Christian and I never played sports. We just, I guess, not super athletically talented, you could say. But last year, our little town nine miles away, the same one where the preschool is, they had this little tiny soccer team and they only practiced once a week and we had games every so often on a Saturday and it was just easy and simple and Bridger loved it. So we're going to probably do that again. Mesa really wants to take dance lessons at a dance studio. It's about 30 miles away. So we'll do that once a week. Um, so we're just going to add in a few more of those things to make up for the co-op not being there, but I think it'll be good. Um, for us, it's a balance. I've talked about this before living where we live, it's, it's a drive to get to these, to the towns that are a little bit bigger and have more offerings. So we really have to balance it because what I don't want is to constantly be on the road and not being able to engage in the life we have here, because we've built the life here on the homestead in a very specific way for a very specific reason. We want our kids to be a part of it. We want them to be a part of our cattle operation and to have chores and to be in the garden and to reap the benefits of this lifestyle we've built. And I feel like if we're constantly driving them to every activity in town, none of us are going to be able to enjoy what we have here. But I also know that it's really important to find what lights your child up and help them to pursue that because that's what really was the thing for me as a child. Horses were what lit me up. And just the fact that I was able to pursue those made all the difference. It, it was life-changing for me. And I, I want to, I don't want to rob my children of that, even though we live a million miles from town. So it's this weird balance and I'm still figuring it out, to be honest. I know as all three of my kids get older, they're all going to be in different activities. So we're going to have to really be intentional because I don't want to be gone all the time. I don't want all of our weeknights to be taken up with being in town, but I'm also wanting them to have activities and friends. So still navigating that whole world one step at a time. All right, let's get into some of the specifics of books and curriculum. Uh, start with math. We always start with math every morning in school, so we'll start with math here. I have explained before, I'll explain it again briefly. We 
I, I don't know. I love Singapore math for first grade. And this is my own quirk. I just came up with this on my own, how I do this. It's not right or wrong. It's just what worked for us. Singapore, Singapore math is pretty rigid. I think comparatively, they don't have a lot of review work built in. So you kind of have to be aware of that on your own. They teach a lot of mental math, which to be perfectly honest, when I was teaching it to Mesa for the first time, it made me angry. <laughs> I wanted to throw the book across the room because it was teaching this mental math in a way that I did not learn. I learned the old fashioned way and, uh, you know, just figuring it kind of with not a lot of reason why you're doing it the way you're doing it. You just do it and just figuring out that formula. Um, and this mental math felt like it was taken the long way around. And I thought it was really cumbersome and stupid to be honest. But once it clicked for her and I, it made a huge difference. And Mesa has continued to be extremely strong in math and Bridger as well. And their ability to do math in their head and to understand why the numbers are doing what the numbers are doing. It really, really solid. So we honestly, for kindergarten, I don't even use a math book. We just count with blocks. We count with flashcards. We do all kinds of stuff like that. Then I move them into Singapore first grade math books. We finish that. And then from there on out, I've done Saxon math. Um, Bridger is doing Saxon now. He actually, he's in second grade, but he's a grade ahead in math. So last year he was first grade, but he did a second grade math book. This year he's in second grade, but he did a, he's going to do a third grade math book. Um, but I like Saxon because it's, easy to teach. It's very incremental and it has a lot of review built in. So with Singapore, when Mesa was in first grade, I had to really stop myself sometimes from progressing forward. And I had to be like, stop, we're going to go back and review. And with Saxon, I don't have to do that as much because it's all built in. And it's simple lessons that the child can read through on their own, or you might need to help them depending on how old they are. But I really like it. And it's what I used, my mom used for me. And I don't know, I guess old habits die hard. So that's what we use for math. We also are going to continue to do some of the math songs that we learned in our classical conversations co-op. I still have that book that we used for curriculum the last two years. And there's these skip counting songs and songs about formulas and geometry and things that we do, we do every year. And I want to continue those on with my kids just because them learning that skip counting has been so valuable to them as they go through their math lessons. And I don't know, I don't think that's necessary for every child. I don't, I would not say you need to go out and buy the classical conversations curriculum just for the math songs, but it's something that we've already been doing and it's really, really helped them. And me, honestly, I count better than I used to on some of those bigger numbers, you know, counting by 13s, counting by 14s, uh, just because of those stinking songs. So we're just going to keep doing that. It's fun. And the kids already are familiar with them. So it's not too hard. Okay. Language arts. Um, this really depends on the child. And I've honestly tried a lot of different things over the years. My kids are stronger in math than language arts, which is fine. They're not necessarily behind. They're just stronger in math. So for Mesa, she'll be in fifth grade. Um, we are going to be continuing on with a couple of the books that we started using in our co-op last year. And with both of these, I feel like I need to give the caveat that they're not necessarily the easiest books to learn. And I don't know if I would recommend that a new homeschooler go out and grab these immediately. 
But because we already went through the learning curve of figuring them out last year, I feel like, and, and I know how they work. So I want to just continue on with them. And we already have the books. So we're going to do that for this year. Um, the first one is called the Institute for Excellence in Writing, IEW, by a guy named Andrew Pudua. I think I've told you about it before on another episode. I actually took a class with Andrew Pudua when I was, one when I was nine and one when I was 13. I hated every stinking minute of it. Sorry, Mr. Pudua, if you ever listened to this. Uh, but he, it's a really great curriculum. It's pretty, pretty stringent, but if you stick with it, it, it's really great for writing, writing. I have to say that. So it's not right. Like writing, writing a horse. Cause I do both, uh, great for writing. And honestly, it gave me the foundation that I needed to write my cookbook. Like, and people have always said I write well, and I can credit that right back to learning his technique. So coincidentally, that is what our co-op used last year. And that is, we bought all the books and Mesa did a ton of essays. She learned how to use adverbs and descriptive words and how to structure sentences and not be a boring writer. And it's really good. So we're going to continue on with that. Writing is very important to me uh, that my kids can express themselves through the written word. I feel like it's crucial. I feel like so many adults cannot do that adequately that by the time they leave my house, my kids will know how to write. Even if they don't want to write a book someday, I don't care. They will know how to express themselves with words. For grammar, we are going to be using a giant beast of a book called Essentials of the English Language. It is from the Classical Conversations set of books. Personally, I would not recommend it unless you're in a co-op. I don't love the book. The book and I have some issues, <laughs> but we used it last year. It taught some sentence diagramming and some pieces that we already started it. And I feel like there's value in continuing on. But again, if I had purchased this book without the community last year to walk me through it, I would have burned it, gleefully burned it because I don't love it. There's pieces of it I still think are kind of dumb. Don't tell Mesa I said that. But we're going to continue on with the sentence diagramming as such. I think that had value. So I have some opinions about curriculum, guys. I'm sorry if they're a little strong, but this is this is just where it's at. Um, and, and then, of course, reading. Lots of reading. Having Mesa read on her own. I love historical-based fiction. I love classics. She's reading. And then I like to read aloud to the kids. I always say I'm going to do that all summer. I don't do a great job of that because we're just not inside in the evenings. We're not inside much of any time in the summer, but in the winter, we do a lot better with doing read-alouds. Um, so we'll do a lot of that. As far as Bridger goes with language arts, my second grader, um, he is reading, but maybe he, he's reading. He can read books on his own. Like I can read books. Frog and Toad are his favorite right now. I would like to continue with his proficiency. So we're, I, I invested in Explode the Code, which is a reading curriculum. I've heard a lot of good about it. I've never tried it, but I'm going to use those books just to kind of polish him up on his reading. And then for spelling, um, we're going to do all about spelling. If I feel like I need extra in addition to explode the code, I may not. And then on top of that, we do copy work, which is just letting him copy a page out of a book, usually something that interests him, science or something about fish or whales or planets. He'll copy a few sentences and just works on his handwriting, his high hand, <laughs> high hand hand-eye, how about that? Hand-eye coordination, working on some punctuation. And then I'll also give him prompts sometime and have him write simple stories. Um, I'm not having him do essays or anything like that right now, obviously. 
he's a seven-year-old boy, that would be a nightmare. But just having him, like, you know, giving him a prompt or saying, you need, you know, write a three-sentence story about a guy in a boat and he'll figure out something and write it. And we work on grammar and punctuation and things like that. And of course, reading, reading, he gets the benefit of the read aloud as well and gets to read his own books. Uh, reading is big. For Sage, she's going to be getting her al alphabet, I think, in preschool this year. But I bought all of the Explode the Code books. So I'm hoping when she is ready to really start reading next year in kindergarten, we will dive into those as well. Okay, so the science, science right now is kind of, I don't know what the right word, relaxed for us, I guess. Um, when my kids get a little bit older, we will do more actual science. We'll, we'll need to get into biology and chemistry and all of those things. But right now, you know, earth science and human body and things like that are kind of the focus. So we have some great science books. We have some Usborne books. We'll get things from the library, probably do kind of a unit study. When I say unit study, I am not making extensive crafts out of construction paper or doing crazy things. Unit study, I mean, hey, this month, let's get every book on the human body we can find and we'll read it before bed. That's what I mean by unit study. Just need to clarify that point. Um, so we do a lot of just science in life. We live on a homestead. There's a lot of opportunities for sciencey things to happen here. Planting seeds, animal reproduction. Like, yeah. The questions that come up from animals breeding, there's just a lot. Sometimes I am not prepared for all of those things to happen. Um, yeah. Anyway, facts of life, real life in color, right? Happening right in front of us. But we also have a book called like 201 science experiments. It's by Janice Van Cleve. I don't like crazy extensive science experiments that require me to drive all over town to get the materials for, but her experiments have a great little explanation. They're usually mostly household materials and they create great um, question asking and curiosity. And Bridger loves science experiments and he lights up and he asks a million questions. So I do them primarily for him. Obviously the other children benefit as well, but he loves it. <clears throat> okay, for history, my favorite subject, we're going to be using Story of the World, which is a four-book series that just tells the story of the world in story format. I feel like kind of obvious. Um, so we'll do that as a read out loud. We There's also activity books that Story of the World has that accompany. I have the activity books and I'll make photocopies of certain pages. But again, like if they're wanting to make me to make a two scale clay diorama of ancient Rome. I'm like, no, thank you. We will not be doing that. We will be coloring a picture of the Colosseum. That is Jill's idea of an activity. So I use those with a grain of salt. And we're also probably going to continue on the classical conversations book uh, has some great, like it really focuses on memory work. And there's this timeline song where you learn all of these big events in history from the beginning till now in this cool little song and I have the cards that go with it. So we're going to continue on with that because man, it's helped me as an adult just to know and remember where things happened in relation to each other. And I want my kids to have that as well. Um, another idea that I'm kind of toying with this year is to, um, maybe Fridays when it's not, we've had the rest of our work done, have Fridays be a research day. Because I feel like one of the traits I really want to foster in my kids is the ability to find information and be curious and 
want to learn. So I'm toying with this idea of saying, okay, every Friday or maybe every other Friday, I don't know, we're going to have that be research day and you get to pick a topic, any topic in the world, I don't care what it is, and you get to research it and learn about it. Um, so maybe they use books or library books or they use Google with supervision, but I just want to teach them how to learn. Does that make sense? Because I know when I get excited to learn or when I see other adults getting excited to learn, it's not because someone told me to go write a paper about something that feels, ugh. it's because I am like, I'm interested in how to make sauerkraut. I'm going to go Google everything I can find about sauerkraut. I'm going to buy some books on sauerkraut and I'm going to figure this out. Like that's how I learn. I think that's how most adults learn. That makes me excited. If someone were to tell me to go write a paper on something, then that doesn't make me excited. And it, and I'm saying that with the knowledge that sometimes in school situations, our kids have to learn how to do things they don't want to do. And that's okay. But I also want to help them uh, cultivate the things that light them up. So I'm, I'm toying around with a research day a couple times a month. I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one it was. It was a while ago. And they were talking about having their kids watch TED Talks uh, every morning or once a week, you know, and gives uh, exposing them to new ideas and fresh ideas and different ways of thinking. So I'm considering that as well, just to give my kids that exposure. But I think the biggest thing for me, as I'm looking at this other homeschool year, and honestly, I think I'm pretty darn excited to get back to school. Last year, I felt this sense of, I'm just being honest, the sense of trepidation starting up with school again. I think I was a little more stressed out last year. I was a little more um, preoccupied with other things, but this year I'm really excited. And I, maybe the current world environment has helped with that. I'm, I'm thankful that we homeschool. I'm thankful that's something we've already been doing. Um, but I'm excited to get going again. I think I have more of a vision and more of an idea of what I want to do with the kids this year. And for me, the biggest piece has been thinking forward and thinking what character traits are most important as an adult, not necessarily writing an essay or doing algebra, they need to know how to do those things. But what are the things that have helped me to be the most successful or traits that I admire in other successful people? Um, resilience, creativity, curiosity, grit, personal responsibility, integrity, all of those things. How do we have those things in mind and work backwards, right? And so that's what I'm kind of chewing on right now Uh in all of our homeschool actions and just our everyday stuff, just being a parent and being in, having a family and how we're operating as a family unit. But that just might be something for you to keep in mind as well as you're thinking about this upcoming year, whether you public school or you homeschool, you can foster those things in your kids regardless. But I'm just sending you my best wishes for whatever you're doing for your kids this year. I hope that it is positive. I hope that it is, is minimally stressful, not stressful, stress less. How did I say that? I said that completely wrong. I just hope it's not stressful. Let me just say it like that. I hope it's not stressful. I hope that you get in your routine and it'll be good friends. Even though the world is crazy right now, we can still make it good. And that is all I have for you today, my listeners. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that the new episodes will pop in automatically into your podcast player. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode, feel free to take a screenshot or a picture of you listening and post it on Instagram and give me a tag. I love to share those. It's fun to see what episodes are resonating with you, which ones you like. And I'm always, always, always open to new ideas for future episodes. So 
do not hesitate to send those over. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate your emails and your feedback and your support. And we'll chat again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.